Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. I know, Gavin, it's very important. All I'm saying is that if no Americans care about this and the ratings tank, I'm firing you. I don't care if it's your birthday. The following podcast contains... Ah, what the f*** did you do that for? Hey, that was... Don't swear. What are we? Werewolves, not swirls. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asked a simple question. When you even allowed the country to vote on whether or not to shoot itself in the dick in the first place, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, April 5th, 2019, Guns of Brexit edition of the show, where you and I together try to understand what the fuck is going on in the United Kingdom right now. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Restore from Last Good Copy, because sometimes you fucked it up that badly. Have you made a series of critical errors and are no longer sure when or where they began? Are things collapsing all around you no matter what you do? They just keep getting worse? Are you in danger of having everything just explode all around you and leave everything you've tried to accomplish in millions of tiny pieces? RFLGC is the best hope for saving what you can while you still can. Restore from Last Good Copy takes you back to the last point in time when you're reasonably sure you haven't fucked anything up, and you can take it again from there. It's the magic reset button for the thing you done did. When it's all done, gone wrong, and you aren't sure why, restore from Last Good Copy. And try not to fuck up again. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Oh, but you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they'd put me away. Shut up! Will you shut up? Ah, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh. Come and see the violence inherent in the system! Help! Help! I'm being repressed! Bloody peasant! Oh, what a giveaway! Did you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? That's what I'm on about. Do you see him repressing me? When I was a kid back in the 1970s, if the injustices of my parents grew so intolerable I couldn't tolerate them anymore, I could always run away from home. I mean, this was back before the roving bands of satanic pedophiles started snatching kids off the streets for their black masses in midnight cemeteries. Simpler times. When your mom and dad got on you for just being you, you could toss some clothes in your school backpack, throw in a couple of little Debbies, grab your G.I. Joes, and head the fuck out. You could, if you were so inclined, announce your intention to run away from home as a warning to your folks to stop their offending behavior. On television, which in the 1970s was the way we learned about the world, when a kid announced, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Mom and dad would sit you down on your bed and soft music would come up and they would kindly explain that it was their job as parents to protect you and teach you right from wrong. Then they would fold you in a big hug and the show would cut to commercial right before the closing credits. This was not how it worked at my house. Oh, no. If my sister or I threatened to run away from our home, our mom would head to our room and start packing our shit up for us. Her theory was that if we wanted to get out from under her feet and go live in the bushes or some shit, well, that was on us. There was never any soft music or a teachable moment. It was all, (laughs) don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. 
And God help us if we ever thought we might call her bluff, because she'd lock the fucking doors and make sure that we would sit outside in the for a few hours until we displayed the proper kind of remorse and appreciation for all the food, clothing, shelter, and love that she gave us. She was a plain and practical woman with zero tolerance for drama, which is why neither of my sister or I really ever tried to run away from home, because we were never 100% positive that they would be there when we got back. I mean, they could be just as happily hit the road without the those two kids being underfoot, and we'd never see them again. Which, I guess, is pretty much how the European Union feels about the United Kingdom about right now. After three years of throwing a tantrum and threatening to leave, the Brits are now standing in the doorway with their holdalls filled with McVittles chocolate digestives, yelling at the continent about how they'll miss them when they're gone, and the EU's just all like, Fine, then go. I'm gone. It would be really funny, you know, if it weren't a financial and social clusterfuck of historical proportions. What am I talking about? Of course, I'm talking about Brexit. If you, like most of Americans, have heard the word Brexit, but have been way too busy with our own slow-motion national societal collapse to pay attention to the slow-motion societal collapse occurring simultaneous in a, simultaneously in our mother country, it's perfectly understandable. But really, we ought to be paying more attention because the forces that created Brexit are the same forces that gave us our own national disgrace. Blinkered, Philistine, pig ignorance. Amongst the voters. Which is why this week's show will explain to you what Brexit is, why did it happen, and what will happen once it does. Before we can get to the actual exit part of Brexit, we have to talk about what exactly Britain is leaving from. This is so boring and forever taking. Look, you guys are just going to have to be patient because I promised Gavin we would do this show and it's his birthday, so you folks are just going to have to suck it up just like I am. You think I want to be talking about this? I'll make it quick. For most of history, Europe has done its very best to kill each other in an endless series of territorial wars and imperial ambitions that went on pretty much from the first time a homo sapien shambled into the continent and killed a Neanderthal with a bone club. You know, the ones with the Neanderthals that he didn't keep to fuck. Do I have your attention now? This constant state of war, uninterrupted by brief periods of peace and colonial expansion and oppression, continued more or less unabated for about two millennia until the 1940s when someone came along who was so over the top with killing and war that once the war was over, Britain and France and what was left of Germany decided that maybe it would be a good job to find a way not to go to war with each other every 20 to 50 years. It began fairly simply, following some old maxim commonly attributed to Claudius... Frederick Bastiat, that when goods cross borders, soldiers don't. Now he's just showing on. There were several smaller consortiums established in the late 1940s, but the real momentum started in 1957 when the European Economic Community was established to create a customs union to eliminate tariffs on trade between member countries. Not every country in Europe joined, but the big players did, and it was not always calm as member states squabbled constantly, storming off, and hopefully to come back a little later on. But as a rule, the EEC did its job up until the fall of the Soviet Union, which was a good thing by by the way, but also... We've got a problem. A problem or a blessing. What were they going to do with all those former Soviet bloc countries? 
1992, the EEC nations met and began hammering out the details of what would eventually become the European Union, which went far beyond trade and tariff regulations and would create something more like a unified Europe under one currency, common set of basic laws, and allow free and open movement without a passport or citizen requirements throughout the member states in Europe. It was widely heralded as a panacea to all of Europe's problem and a path to the future. A few people even said, It was our last best hope for peace. How the EU received the Nobel Peace Prize for having contributed to the advancement of peace and reconciliation, democracy, and human rights in Europe. But then came the debt crisis, spurred on by the recession in 2008 and migration from the Middle East and countries in Africa, and that made things... Oh my God, shit got real, shit got real, shit got real! Because it's easy to hang together in the good times, you know, when everyone is white and Christian. But when the money is tight and poor people that you don't believe in your particular sky wizard start showing up, it's a lot harder to handle the embrace of high ideals you've held up before. Especially when you don't like the people that are showing up now. Just because they're brown. Now we come to the spotted dick of my Brexit story. Britain has never been happy with the EU or even its predecessors. In the 1970s, when the UK joined the common market, the left of the political aisle demanded they leave as they perceived it was a sop to big business at the expense of working people, which it totally was. But started in 2012, at the height of the financial crisis in, in Europe, the Brexit movement began to grow as a right-wing thing as right-wing politicians took up the issue and blamed the EU for all of Britain's financial and social woes. Indeed, it was all these people coming in from Eastern Europe that were taking up all the jobs and sucking up the social services, all of which were being paid for by plain and honest working-class Brits. Sounds familiar. Yeah, trust me, if there was a land border between Great Britain and Europe, there some be, would be some jack-off promising to build a wall there. This is when Prime Minister David Cameron made a classic blunder. In fact, it is now superseded getting involved in a land war in Asia and going against the Sicilian death is on the line as the classic blunder. He allowed himself to be maneuvered into a place where he had to call a referendum on whether the United Kingdom would... From an article in The Guardian, quote, Speaking at the London headquarters of Bloomberg, Cameron confirmed plans to hold an in-out referendum after the next election. As he warned, the biggest danger to the European Union comes not from those who advocate change, but from those who denounce new thinking as heresy. In the long history of Europe, Europe has had experience with heretics who turned out to have a point. The Prime Minister said that nothing would be off the table when he puts forward the demands for the reparations of a series of powers to Britain if he wins in the 2015 general election. A new settlement would then be put to the voters in a referendum by the end of 2017. I believe in confronting the issue, shaping it, leading the debate, not simply hoping a difficult situation will go away, he said. The Prime Minister concluded by saying that he would campaign with all of his heart and soul for Britain to remain in the EU if he succeeded in negotiating its membership terms. When the referendum comes, let me say that now that we can negotiate an agreement, I will campaign for it with all my heart and soul, unquote. <laughs> I guess in Pigfucker's defense, I'm not just saying that to be mean. That's a whole story that you should Google David Cameron pigfucking. Honest to God. It's worth your time. In his defense, 
it should be said that he assumed there would be no way in fucking hell that 50.1% of the voters in the United Kingdom would be so foolish as to intentionally send the entire economy of their nation down the shitter because of some yearning for gone glory days, political agitprop, and a deep-seated xenophobia. He was wrong about many things. He indeed was. Because when given the choice between a complicated issue that is difficult to explain and even more difficult to understand and a clear other that can be pointed at and blamed for everything, certain people are always going to go with the easiest path. From a Vice News Report article after the Brexit vote, let's hear from a Leave voter. So will you vote it out? Yeah. Boy. Because, uh... All foreigners are taking their jobs. It's not that much immigration around here, though, is there? There is a lot. Really? There's lots of Muslims, lots of people around here, which are <laughs> taking their jobs, and we've no money. If dickheads like you, while we're going to end up in the financial Get out of fucking comes. Who's going to take your job? <laughs> what fucking job? When the vote came up in 2016, the Leave campaign mounted a full court press attacking immigrants as and the elites and sounding the sorrows of the forgotten working man led by people like Nigel Farage, who might be best called England's own Bill O'Reilly, although presumably without the sexual harassment, although looking at the guy... You never know. Nigel Farage became the voice of Leave as the founder of the UK Independence Party, dedicated, I guess, to the independence of the United Kingdom from something? As the EU is not a colonial power holding dominion over the UK, and honestly, the irony of England complaining about anything as a colonial power is fucking hilarious. Joining him was Boris Johnson, former mayor of London, and a man that looks and acts very much like Britain's versions of Donald J. Trump. These two, along with millions in dark money and, yes, you guessed it, some Russian Facebook shit posters, managed to convince 52% of the people who voted in the 2016 referendum to remove the United Kingdom from the European Union without any idea of how to do it. Which brings us to part two of the Brexit fiasco, the actual leaving part of leave. And this is where shit gets insanely complicated and you should not feel bad at all if you don't understand because I don't understand, nor do the actual people who are doing leaving, uh, you know, the government of the United Kingdom. I'm going to try and break down the biggest problems in and why they are fucking impossible to solve in the fastest and least English way possible. Stiff up a lip and all that, eh? Item the first, money. This is actually the least complicated part of leaving the EU, though needless to say, it's been, a goat, it's been goat fucked into insanity. Once the UK leaves the EU, it will no longer be allowed to sell or purchase goods without import and export tariffs, meaning it would be necessary for the UK to negotiate trade, agree trade agreements with the United, with European Union independently. Ideally, the UK, the UK would simply stay a part of the common market, meaning it continued to trade as though it were actually in the EU without it being in the EU. You. That kind of makes sense, I guess. Which, of course, why it was summarily rejected by the conservatives who insisted that when they said leave, they meant leave. No common market, no special relationships, no anything. 
which is insane because it would take years to negotiate new trade deals, and all the while people in the United Kingdom would pay way more for goods and cannot compete with people in the EUs on prices because of the tariffs when they want to sell their goods over there. Jesus, how fucking stupid are you? Item the second. UK citizens living in the EU and vice versa. Since the EU allowed citizens of member countries to move freely and work in any member country, many people from those countries came to live and work in the UK, which of course was part of the problem because it made many people in the UK very, very angry. Pig, Polak, disgusting, vulgar, greasy. Oh God, yes. The Brits really are mad at the Poles for some reason. I mean, they're afraid of the Muslims, but they really shit on the Poles. Also, many Brits moved abroad to live in the EU countries. The EU rather sensibly thought that the rights of non-UK citizens in or non-UK citizens from the EU in the UK should be protected, and the leavers did not. After all, what's the point of leaving if you still have all these foreigners? They did not feel that the rights of UK citizens living in the EU should any any way change. The idea was that we get rid of all the foreigners, but our people living abroad, they should st still be just fine. And a lot of people in the EU thought to themselves, This seemed kind of shitty to me. And they had disagreed with that. So when an interim agreement was reached between the EU and the UK regarding these whole issues, the <laughs> leavers got really pissed about it and rejected that agreement and all other agreements with the EU entirely. Item the third, the so-called Brexit bill. Money owed to the, by the UK to the EU to square their accounts, estimated as some 40 billion pounds. Any agreement would need to provide a payment plan for these funds as conditions for other deals involving trade and free movement. The not inconsequential sum became a bit of a sticking point in Parliament as it couldn't reach an agreement not only on, not, on whether or not they should how, how to pay the money, but also whether the money was even owed in the first place. The fight turned into a massive disagreement on how the total was arrived at or even if, you know, it was a, the correct amount of money. Which it wasn't. How long would they have to pay it? How hardliners hold the position that the money isn't even owed because, you know... They're not in the EU anymore. We come to item the fourth, and perhaps the biggest of them all, Northern Ireland. Ireland proper is very much a part of the EU, and they like the EU, and they very much enjoy the discomfort of the British as they fuck and fumble their way through this process. Many believe, and they're probably right, that Ireland is quietly blocking the UK from getting better deals than they might otherwise purely out of spite. That sounds like something I'd do. Ireland notably shares a land border with Northern Ireland, the long-contested British possession, and the source of decades of blood and fire during the 20th century. If provisions are not made to keep the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland open and free, everyone on both sides says that within a few years, the peace deal, which has been kept the things, kept everybody from killing each other for the past 20-odd years, is pretty much over and done with. That's not hyperbole, because the entire peace plan between Northern Ireland and Ireland and between the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland is predicated on a free and open border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. So, Northern Ireland becomes a special zone, and the border simply moves to the sea between Ireland and Great Britain, and everyone is happy, right? <coughs> not so fast. 
The Irish Unionists, the Protestants of Northern Ireland who want to stay part of the UK, are actually the political underpinnings of Prime Minister Theresa May's government, and they are vehemently against this happening. They want a hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, That, <laughs> despite the Good Friday Agreement that ended the Troubles. The Leavers are also against moving the border to the ocean because, oh, fuck, who knows, they just like stirring the shit. Essentially, the Unionists feel, and honestly... They're probably right that an open border with Ireland and restrictions between Northern Ireland and Great Britain essentially just gives Northern Ireland back to the Irish in a few years. And pretty much everyone agrees, particularly the Irish, who were seeing the chance to finally kick the fucking last of the dirty Brits out of the fucking country. And also, this isn't item the fifth, but it probably will be. Scotland really does not want to leave the EU. A few years before Brexit, they held a referendum on whether or not to declare independence for the United Kingdom. That was narrowly voted down. When Brexit happens, it is almost certain that Scotland will call for another referendum that will almost certainly pass, and the Scots would very much like to enjoy the freedoms of the EU and not have their economy go down the shitter <laughs> because petulant racists and political dipshits in Northern, in Northern England. Anyway, this was more or less settled last November when the EU ratified an agreement to balance out all these issues and let the UK gently disengage from the EU over the next few years with the least economic and political fallout. And this was the so-called soft Brexit, an agreement that would more or less make the best out of a bad situation and an agreement that was promptly pushed down the shit of you. And the English Parliament. All of this brings us to right now. The original deadline for leaving the EU was March 29th. The UK begged an extension until April 12th. There's a reason for the deadlines that happen to come with the EU elections and any number of other difficulties in going past the April 12th date. But I kind of think the EU is becoming a little like my mom when I would threaten to run away from home. You want to leave? Leave. And the parliament keeps voting down plans, alternatives, and options to do the least damage possible when they leave. The public is now vigorously demanding a do-over in the vote where they get to have a say on all the available options from remaining in the EU to the soft Brexit to saying, fuck it, burn it all down. The government does not want that to happen, having perhaps learned their lesson from the last time and knowing that if you bring the public into all this, God knows what the fuck then will happen next. Everyone is to the point of just throwing up their hands in the air and just having a good scream about the entire thing. There is literally no good option for Brexit. Only varying degrees of bad. How do you deal with a problem that you created but has no good outcomes? Have another drink. Think about it. I mean, if you're in a car barreling down a mountain road, barely under control, what choices do you have, really? No, you just, no, you step on the brake. I mean, if you've done the same thing, taken vote after vote after pointless vote, and the same conclusion has been reached every time is that no one will agree to anything, really, what choice do you have but to take another pointless vote and then hope magically something changes this time? Really? Okay, you, you can stop. Because this could 
all be over in a second if Theresa May, who was already squandered beyond her power, beyond a position, beyond any redemption, and who was on her way out as prime minister sooner rather than later, who was never for leave in the first place, she could just put pen to paper, or more accurately, I guess, ink to printer, into a short, simple solution that the EU has said over and over again they would accept. Simply revote their invocation of Article 50, the method by which they would leave the EU. It would be a shitstorm of epic proportion, but when you're already in said shitstorm, one more turd just doesn't matter. This would simply stop it all, reset back th things back to where they were before the referendum. It's entirely possible the United Kingdom would come apart at the seams, but you know what? That's already happening, so why not fucking do it? Five million people in the UK have already signed a petition demanding a second referendum on the issue, something the government has resisted time and again. It would take at least a year to prepare the election, and it would certainly mean the government in power now would fall and would be replaced by something? I don't know, maybe friendly otters if they're lucky. It would... <laughs> But it would spare the UK a disastrous hard Brexit and avert reigniting the civil war in Northern Ireland and the departure of Scotland from the United Kingdom. It would avert becoming an economic crisis and restore the status quo to the people in the UK, even the angry, stupid ones who voted for Brexit. In the simple, it's the simplest solution, and yet for some reason, it's the one no one will embrace. It will take another 30-minute podcast to adequately explain the difference between the UK government and our own, and why this would, could work, because we have nothing like this process on a national scale here in the United States, because if we did, Donald Trump would be going golfing full-time in Mar-a-Lago right now. But there is a method to save the UK from itself if only someone would have the balls to do it. They don't, so they won't. And the chances are good that come April 12th, the UK will hard Brexit from the, uh, from the European Union. We're fucked, aren't we? Brexit is unfortunately not an isolated incident in the funny country over the ocean that we Americans like to think of as a more civilized yet paler version of ourselves. It is part of a worldwide trend towards authoritarianism and even fascist ideology that is increasingly becoming more and more acceptable. It is part and parcel of a global movement tied together by the same fear and xenophobia that gave our little country the orange hate. Driven by ignorance the prey that preys on the uneducated majority who see the changing demographics of globalism and immigration as a direct threat to their comfortable supremacy and are willing to shoot themselves in their own dick so long as the other gets harmed by the ricochet. They are also seeing the slow, steady erosion of the economy as more and more money funnels into the richest members of their societies, and if they had not been deprived a decent education over the past 50 years, they would see the real enemy are the people they are listening to shrieking about the brown people that is the problem because trust me pod friends the brown people ain't the problem it's all white poor white people being led by rich white fuckers who figured out a long time ago the best way to make sure they keep all the money is to keep all of us fighting each other and they are very very good at what they do 
Because the political class is owned by the mega rich on both sides of the pond, and they will never bite the hand that feeds them, whether that hand is the right hand handing them money or the left hand is the ignorant fucker that votes for them because they watch too many Rupert Murdoch-owned television stations. You turn over the turds littering the yards of the UK and the US and Australia, you will find Rupert Murdoch's name written on the bottom. If ever we want to take our countries back, from the dumbest amongst us. We need that old fucker to die and die quick so his shitty sons can tear each other apart fighting for his money. It won't solve the problem instantly, but it'll be damn entertaining to watch. As for Brexit, I can only hope Americans are watching closely and thinking about what we do in the coming year as we come to our elections. Because you are watching a country being driven over the cliff by the stupid members, stupidest members of their electorate. And honestly... I don't think anything can save them now, which is really too bad because I have loved England and its people since I was a kid. Much of my own cultural life came out of watching Monty Python skits, full of intellectualism and biting satire. And it's sad to see a country that I love go from Monty Python to Benny Hill in just a few short years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Whew. That was exhausting. I, I, I think I'm done. I don't have anything in, more, in me tonight. So you know what? Gavin, buddy. You want to do the closing credits? You know you do. It's your birth. I'm serious. You can do the closing credits. All right, man. You ready? Everyone, Gavin St. James, the producer of What the Hell Were You Thinking? And he's going to give you the closing credits for this week's episode. Well, quite. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. That is it for our show this week. We would like to thank the listeners and remind them to rate and review this podcast wherever they find their audio content. Listeners are urged to follow the show on Twitter at the Howl underscore podcast. All of our downloadable audio content may be found upon SoundCloud underneath the show name and, of course, whatthehellpodcast.com. For me, producer Gavin St. James, host Dave Wretched Drunkard Bledsoe and all the fictional entities referenced during the closing credits for no adequately explored reason. We look forward to your continuing listenership in the coming weeks. Ha 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 Saxton. We'll see you all next week.
Should I stay or should I go now? I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow.